Hello everyone, this is Akshaya and you're listening to the 6th episode of the Career Solution Podcast. Today we have Ms. Charlotte Burton who is a teacher at Irvington High School and is a photographer. Ms. Burton, do you have any additional jobs or previous jobs that set your career as a photographer? Um, yes, I used to work um, at a lab in downtown Oakland and I used to develop um, prints for the Oakland Museum of California. They would bring in negatives and then I would make prints for them. So I did that before I've also worked um, in social work and nonprofit, working, doing education and advocacy work. I've also been a union organizer and I even worked for the fashion industry. I was a contractor with Levi's. So I did a bunch of color correction and, and um, things for their sales force. Like they would take to JCPenney's or Macy's to try to sell like two years or three years in advance what they were developing. So I worked with a, um, an art director there and just made things, visual things for them too. So. I've had a bunch of jobs and before that I was waitressing back way back in high school but so I've done a lot of work um, around and I've also photographed bands too so I've done a lot of different different jobs in mm-hmm. my life. So what inspired you or motivated you towards photography and teaching? So when I was a first year high school student my I I didn't have a lot of options for classes, so I had to, I took a drafting class, which was a bunch of boys and me. But my drafting teacher said, "Hey, let's turn this corner of the dark of the classroom into a dark room with garbage bags for a week, and everyone gets to develop a roll of film and um, you know make a print." And I was hooked. It was amazing. We didn't have photography when I was in in high school, and then. Um, so I got straight A's and I was really bored in school, so I skipped school a lot. And then my counselor was like, you have a 4.0, but you're going to be expelled if you don't stay at school. And I was like, why should I stay here? There's like nothing going on. Like I'm taking your tests, I'm turning in your paper. So he was like, what if we gave you this bathroom in the counselor's office and you turned it into the dark, into a dark room and you developed all the negatives and all the prints for the yearbook? Because this is before digital. So this is the late 80s, early 90s. So, and I had gone to the Art Institute to a summer camp at the Art Institute for photography too. So I converted their bathroom into a dark room and I developed all the photographs um, for the yearbook so that, I, so instead of skipping school, once I took the test, I would go into the dark room. And so I would stay there. So I, would, I wouldn't be considered truant, even if I wasn't just sitting there in the class, like bored out of my mind. So that's how that happened. And then um, I really thought that if we photographed all the going on that, that so I started from that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. it seems like photography has, um, you know, been one of your interests from um, for a very long time. But what about teaching? How long have you been a teacher, and what has kept you wanting to teach? Mm, that's a good question. So, I originally my plan was to be a community college professor because I love the fact that it's multi generational and multi ethnic and super diverse, and who takes photography at a community college. So I was getting my master's degree because that's what you needed. I don't know, now they might change it to PhD, but before you just needed a master's degree to teach um, at community college. And I was like, great, that's what I want to do. So I went to San Jose State because they have a really good teaching. Um, you get to teach as a grad student, so if you get it. So I got in and I was going to teach, um, and I taught two semesters there, which is unusual. Usually you only get to teach one, but this because the students really liked me, they gave me an intermediate class. So I got to teach beginning and intermediate. While I was there, the, the vice principal at the time um, and the head of the art department called San Jose State and said, we really need a teacher. Do you have anyone? And so a, the head of the photography department um, was like, I have the perfect person for you. She actually likes teenagers and she works with homeless youth in San Francisco. Um, Cause I was also doing that um, as well as going to grad school. So they called me and said, we'd like you to apply for this job. And I was like, um, okay. 
because my, you know, my second semester of teaching was about to end and, and I was like, well, let's check it out. And so I went in there and I had, anyway, it was, it was a very interesting interview. I've never been recruited. So I was recruited to teach at Irvington and it was supposed to just be for one year. And then I fell in love with it because first of all, um, I felt like it was even more interesting in terms of, uh, having students for longer so you could get deeper in relationship and in terms of storytelling and um and then i just got a bunch of grants for the program so then the, the administration really liked me because i replaced all the computers and i replaced all the enlargers they hadn't neither one had been replaced in a very long time and i was like this is not acceptable mm-hmm. you wouldn't teach a book without the book so how do you expect me to do this without i mean it was crazy the lack of technology um, and resources so i i gathered all the um, resources I needed. So then when I got like $80,000 worth of donations and then I applied for this $300,000 grant and I got that. So it was just like, I was building a small school within the larger school of it being an arts magnet school. And I just really got hooked. And I love the fact that I could teach the same people like three or four years in a row and really get to know the community and parents really came out for me too. So it was, um, it was a really great opportunity to, to make education for liberation actually happen. And I hated high school, so I never had a plan to be a high school teacher. That's why I wanted to do community college. But then what I found is through running this small school, um, and then I was in community with with um, their parents and their grandparents and and other and business owners in the community. So through that, I got the the diversity that I was looking for in terms of age and generation, in terms of what I thought I would would have, get at a community college. And I wasn't willing to. And I got tenure too, which was good. But also the other thing that was exciting for me is that I got to teach a whole bunch of different things instead of just photography. If I think if I was just teaching photography, like when I first got there, I would be bored out of my mind. But so I, um, so I started teaching video. I started teaching media literacy. I was also running a art and social justice advisory. Some of the murals around campus we did. Um, we also had a poetry advisory that was really great. Um, I love spoken word. And I had students who would just keep coming up and asking me to do things. And so I said, yes, and it was, it was great. So I felt like we were collaborating and creating community and really um, being an arts magnet school for a while there. It's, got, it's gotten a little bit of a shift to STEM, but um, I very much enjoy the film, the videos and films and the photographs that my, and the stories that my students make and facilitating that opportunity for them to tell their own story. Yes. So you described this community you created as a teacher and the connections you made. So as an artist, how do you cultivate an, out, an audience? Uh, well, mostly it's really crucial for me. I don't make photographs and then frame, map them and frame them and hang them on a wall. I'm, I've transitioned from straight sort of like documentary photography in the beginning, 30 years ago when I was 15, to uh, social, what I call social practice. So it's an event. And so we are making the work together. This is why I don't capitalize my artist name. This is why I create opportunities for participation and embodiment so that it becomes a practice. So social practice involves um, everyone who is part of making the images and making and telling the stories and um, collecting the information. So it's not accessible to people unless they are doing the work to think about and, and integrate it into the, the hope is to integrate it into their life. So it's not just like an event that they have in their mind, but it actually transforms the way, not just the way they think, but the way they behave and treat other people. And the only way to do that is to do it in a group. 
So sometimes I will have these like interventions as we call them, where it will just be random and people will come and have an opportunity to participate in the conversation and the, the and recording it or um, photographing folks during that time. And other times there will be things you have to fill out or you have to do like I have a survey sometimes that you have to fill out before you enter. So there's some kind of active participation that is required in order to um, participate slash have um, a voice and, and have the experience. So it's very, it's very, um, the foundation is experiential knowledge and learning through practice and invitation. And, um, so that's how I do it. I usually like, I'll be at a university or a nonprofit and they'll ask me to come and then they'll, they'll, um, promote it. And then people will come and participate. So you described you um, first shot in like documentary style for some years. So how do you create a story through your photographs? And is there a particular element of art you enjoy working with and why? I really got into performance because and, and, and film because what I found is that um, like a photograph, it could be really compelling in terms of composition and you could have the, the image could be seared into your mind, but it didn't motivate people to, to change how they were, to interrogate like how they were supporting these very unjust situations, right? And so, so then I got into poetry and spoken word because I was like, this is like, people are really thinking about it. And it's like, it felt really empowering to witness, participate in and do, um, and, and to like, to speak truth to power, especially around stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. And to humanize everybody. Like there, there was so much going on in terms of um, dehumanizing African Americans, dehumanizing Latinx folks, dehumanizing queer folks. Like there was a lot going on, even dehumanizing women in a lot of ways. Because you know, I grew up in the '90s where there was a lot of things going on. We had the Rodney King um, beating that was like by eight white officers, and they all got acquitted. You know, like that happened. We had. Um, Operation Desert Storm, which was the first war in Iraq. And like, there was just a lot going on. There were laws being passed, um, like basically criminalizing queer love and things like that. So I re- I thought like oral history is a, such a um, long-standing important tradition. And I think spoken word poetry can do that. And I think film can do that in a way that says there is more than one story about what happened here. And, and then, but, you know, photography still also has that. And so having like a physical photograph document archive of the experience is really important for me too. So like I have these identity passports where I talk about um, the fact that race and gender are social constructs. And so people get to fill out this password and think about all these categories that they assume to be fixed that aren't fixed. And they get to decide what that is. And then I take a picture of that. And then I they get the actual physical archive of the experience, which allows them and talks about a bunch of myths and has a bunch, like a, the human rights um, convention. And so it, it really helps to educate folks. So what I like to do is plant a seed that creates more questions that then creates a resource for folks to go back to to continue to interact with as much as they want to so until they feel like they understand what's happening. That's okay. I think the only way to get rid of white supremacy and misogyny and all the other isms that we're dealing with is to practice it every day. Mm-hmm. 
So that's a great answer. And he got into the topic of social injustice and with the media, uh, you know, media and social injust um, justice. So how do you think the media influences photography and how do you think that photography influences the media? I think that when people say what's going on or they say like, for instance, two million people um, in California alone have, have contracted COVID-19, right? Rona is on fire here. And um, that doesn't do anything to people on a physiological level, but seeing, seeing people, seeing um, white sheets draped over people who are in these huge freezers, right? Because there's, they're, they're, they were so backed up with having to deal with it, with like seeing photographs of that tells people what's really happening. And you notice that we don't have a lot of those. Like just like um, with the war in Afghanistan, like they had embedded journalists and they would take their film and take their digital images. And they, they censored a whole bunch of stuff because they learned their lesson in Vietnam when the photographs came back of what was really happening. So, you know, so that's one side of it. But then there's the side of it where you can have something happen like George Floyd mm -hmm. and we're still dealing with that and that still hasn't been taken care of, right? But there was, and there was a video of that. However, Breonna Taylor, who was sleeping in her own bed and was killed by the cops, there's no video of that. They haven't showed us the body cam of that whole no-knock warrant situation. So she's, her, her people have not been, gotten any resemblance of justice. At least George Floyd started some things because it was like there. So I think representation is crucial in terms of one, understanding everyone's humanity and everyone's dignity. And the, and the problem with the mainstream Fox News, Donald Trump, machine is to sort sort to to spew out these lies about people not being human and that's goes way back to the history of this country in terms of indigenous folks being called savages and african americans being considered three-fifths of a human and you know like there's a so there's a whole history of that same thing with latinx folks like in terms of citizenship right and mm -hmm. so the more examples of how people participate in a humane way and are still killed for it. Um, and, and that it's never okay to murder a human being. Like that basic thing is something that I believe photography and video and media in general can help bring about. We're not there yet as a degree, but I believe, and that, that women's bodies, especially black girls' bodies matter. And like, it's not okay to brutalize them. Like there's so many videos of SROs doing that to young girls in high schools and middle schools. And it's really, it's really disconcerting, but I won't stop until people understand the, our shared humanity as people and that it is never okay to brutalize, period. So I think media, photography, and video have a huge role in helping to talk about Sorry, hold on one second. <laughs> no problem. There's a dog. <laughs> anyway, I think media and, and video um, have a huge responsibility to depict the humanity of every person, mm -hmm. and that it that and, and to and to help understand that this horror and this terror is a choice that is being made that that needs to stop, 
and that we need to celebrate and support each other and care about each other. You cannot like what people do, but you should not be allowed to terrorize them or murder them for any reason. Like, I just don't think it's okay. And I think there's always a way. And I don't, I think humanity is smart enough to know how to deescalate and how to, um, how to keep everybody safe. And, and right now they're just being super reactionary and, and hateful because they're ignorant and they fear. And fear is not real in terms of like the actual facts. But we are living in a time when facts are debated and called fake news. And it, so it's a very scary time. So the more representations about science being real and that like love is love, right? And feminism is for everyone and all of those things, the more that we see that actually playing out and regular folks living like that mm -hmm. and being kind to each other and that a human being is it's not, it's not possible for a human being to be considered illegal. Like how is that term even like there? So. So I, so I think about that. I think about the, the power of storytelling through visual means, because then it, then it doesn't, it doesn't um, get lost in translation, right? Like that was the, one of the problems with spoken word poetry for me was that things could get lost in translation. But I think visually you can, comp you can compose your photographs in a way that, that actually celebrates our shared humanity in a very powerful way so that we will change our behavior and how we treat each other. That's what I want to do. And I see it happening in my classroom all the time, which is why it keeps me coming back. I get a lot of kids in the beginning who are super individualistic and it doesn't work to be individualistic when you're sharing the dark room mm -hmm. or trying to create a brave class classroom community. And so by the end of the year, most of them care about each other and themselves more than they did at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's more important to me than the photograph itself. But the photograph is the, is the vehicle within which to get there, I think. So talking about your personal journey as a photographer, um, you said that you've had various jobs over the years. So how did you seek out these opportunities, like from high school to you know further on? So uh, I went to a liberal arts college, Bard, um, which I actually really, I was a scholarship kid and I'm very thankful. It was huge for me. And... Um, but I, I wasn't, I didn't have a portfolio. And so I didn't get into the photography program. So I just took all the photo classes that weren't for photography uh, students, like majors, weren't for, for photo majors. But then every teacher, every professor was like, you're, why aren't you a photo major? So I'd have to tell the story about like over and over again. And then it was interesting because at the end, the head of the photo department who told me that I didn't have enough money to be a photo major when I first got there because I didn't even have a portfolio. Um, because I was totally self-taught. But anyway, um, he invited me into his senior seminar class, which was only 10 photographers. So that was interesting. And so, and then from there, I, I, I guess, how did I, I, it just was something that I couldn't stop doing, mm -hmm. even when I was broke. And even when like I had other jobs, basically I had other jobs to pay so that I could keep doing photography pay me enough to pay my rent so I could keep doing photography. So like, and, and I, I was hanging out with a bunch of other folks who were also activists and artists um, doing things. And so that's, it just, it kept happening and I just wouldn't give it up. And so, um, and I just kept photographing and then people would always see me with my camera and see some of my stuff. And I started having shows, exhibitions of my work in different, in different environments, like not totally galleries, but more like nonprofits and, even coffee shops sometimes and um 
with a focus on social justice, right, and, and self-representation of my the communities that I'm that I'm in, that I'm a part of, um, that I care about. And so then people would see it and then they would ask me. So it just and I, I took this class back in 2000 called Taking the Leap, and it was like all about how to be an artist as a business because I am not good with that because I'm, I'm also an anti-capitalist. So um, it becomes difficult to like sell your work or sell a portrait of someone else. Like, I just don't think that's okay. And I never felt okay with that. So it was like figuring out how to, how to survive in a capitalist society when you're an anti-capitalist and you're trying to make work that's going to change the way people behave. So, so I started working in social work and then I would photograph at night. And I, when I moved to the Bay area in 1998, it used to be really amazing, the community college program here. So I enrolled in a community college class because three credits was 30, it was $11 a credit plus your health fee. So for 50 bucks, I could use the darkroom. And I and, and then I would do their assignments or whatever. Um, but mostly I became like a de facto TA or help, I helped the professors and they became my friends. Like rather than, because you know, I was a little bit older than most of the students or younger than the people who had retired and I knew a bunch of stuff. So. Um, so I just took a bunch of classes there so that I could have access to all their cameras and their lighting equipment and their dark rooms and stuff. Instead of paying like an hourly rate of $10 an hour, I could pay $50 and use the dark room for three and a half months. And I would print like crazy. Um, and then I would have shows. And then I was at a party like one day and this woman said, oh, we have an opening at my place, which was the, the, the dark room camera shop called Camera Corner that had been in Oak, downtown Oakland since the 30s. So it was like the, the nephew of the guy who started it was still there. And they had a dark room in the basement and I just started printing for them for the museum. And it was amazing. And then I decided, you know what? I need to just be college professor so that instead of taking these classes, I can teach them. And then I'll have my own dark room and my own studio and, um, and I'll have a community of photographers instead of just like street artists or whatever. And we'll just make it happen that way. So then I applied and, and then this all happened. So, but that was, so that's kind of how it happened. It was something that I never stopped doing, mm -hmm. but I didn't think about how, to, and I wasn't willing to make the kind of photographs and use photography to otherize people so that I could make money in documentary, right? Like I had a lot of musician friends, so I would photograph their shows sometimes or poets and stuff like slash hip hop artists, right? Cause there's some, there's some crossover there. But I would just, you know, get to go to the concert for free and like, I, I wasn't, I didn't want a website. I didn't want to, I felt like I didn't want to pimp myself out into the capitalist world through my photographs because it felt inauthentic to me and it didn't feel right to me to sell somebody's image, to sell somebody's likeness. And that whole history of colonialism and what happened to indigenous folks and, and that whole anthropological side of it that just felt really wrong to me. I didn't want to be affiliated with it. And so teaching became an avenue where I could combine all three of my passions, like social justice, so education for, and for liberation, right? So how to be an abolitionist teacher. Mm -hmm. I could, my passion for photography and my passion for storytelling. So like those three things all came, I, and I love to learn. I mean, I learn from my students and I love to organize. And I also think um, teenagers and young people is, is where the where the change happens. And so like holding the space so that that can be something that can be imagined is something I'm really good at and I really and it really feeds my soul in a deep level.
And so that's why I haven't left. I thought I was going to leave. And then they kept asking me, well, just one more year, just one more year. And then, and now I'm tenured and all of that. So I'm like, but also I'm fortunate enough to be able to not need it in that way that it may not, I may not stay for another 15 years, right? Or 10 years, because this is my 15th year. I may not stay for another 10 years, or I may, if it continues, like I'm in love with teaching right now, even though we're long distance, and even though I don't have access to the darkroom, which I never thought I would want to do, teaching photography without the darkroom, because I love the darkroom. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I love about it right now is that people need stories right now more than anything and my students are showing up and telling stories and, and doing work and making things in this very destructive time their time allows them to make something that feels authentic that is about who they are despite the fact that we're in a global pandemic that has been completely mismanaged and their families are hungry and they're worrying about housing and all of these things sometimes you need some art and some joy and some story in your life to get you through you can survive a lot if you have a story to hang on to and I think and if you feel seen and you feel heard and you feel valued and I think that being an elective teacher allows me to do that mm-hmm. and for them to value each other and themselves and so not only do they know that I value them my students but I'm, I'm hoping that they're learning to value themselves and each other despite how messy it is to be human and how inhumane this time feels right now Thank you for such great answers. It concludes our interview. I really enjoyed having you here. And for more episodes, please check out the ones below. Thank you for listening.